This episode of Sports with Friends is brought to you by Alera Health Products. Every time I turn on the news, there is something about COVID. There is something about the flu. There is something about viruses. Medical experts are understaffed. There's so much going on. The best way to avoid doctors is to improve your immune health. There's a product that I just learned about called Immune Extra. And it's the only product available that can increase immune health up to ninefold in as little as nine days. It does so by increasing the amount of messenger cells that alert the immune system of any invaders. It's only one per day for maintenance. Think of it as a multivitamin for the immune system. Dosages can be increased to up to 15 per day with no side effects ever reported after millions of doses. It's been around for over 30 years. It's just new to sports with friends. It's not new to the world. It's now available in a triple strength formula originally sold only by doctors. And if you have tested positive for COVID or any respiratory illness, it's a true medicine cabinet product. Immediately when someone close to me tested positive, I wanted to know exactly what I should do. I contacted doctors. While we are not giving medical advice, this is something you want in your possession. It should be taken upon the onset of symptoms. Go to their website, www.immunextra.com. And when you're checking out, get 15% off just for finding this from Sports with Friends. The keyword that you have to type when you're at checkout is FRIENDS15. You know, friends. Friends15 at ImmuneExtra.com. And go to their website and check it out. Because if you don't want to just take my word for it, listen, my word's not gospel. Neither is anyone else's that you might hear from today. But go to the website. Check it out. Read about it. And you know what else I did? I Googled it. Click on news. There's nothing about any harm. There have been no side effects. There's nothing about this that would be alarming. Give your immune system a fighting chance against everything that's out there in the world, including COVID. Go to ImmuneExtra.com, use the keyword FRIENDS15, and they'll know you found this from Sports with Friends. Welcome to another episode of Sports with Friends. This is episode 335. We love doing this podcast. The last two have been mostly about John Madden. This is going to be a little bit about John Madden, too. Hasn't the football season been fun? The uh, playoffs are underway. Playoffs? Uh, The playoffs are alive and well. There are four divisional games. After now, they had their six super wild card games, their wild card weekend. And uh, we will talk about all of that as well. Today, we have a fun one. If you are in the know of sports and you know a lot about the NFL, the name Lee Steinberg is easy to recall. If you are a casual football fan or a young football fan and don't know who Lee Steinberg is, all you have to do is pause this podcast and go see the movie Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is a fictional character Based on Lee Steinberg. And Lee is our guest today. We'll also preview the four divisional playoff games with a head odds maker at BovadaSportsbook.com, Patrick Morrow. Patrick, give us a preview. Seth, it's NFL divisional weekend, loaded props, loaded live betting, so show me the money. 
Leave it to Patrick Morrow <laughs> to go where I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to bring up the movie that fast, but of course, Patrick does. Ah, we'll talk to him in a couple of moments. You know, I connected with this guy on social media so often, and uh, I've loved following his career. I've read books that he's written, and I've, you know, I've interviewed him on talk shows in the radio world, but now he gets to be on Sports with Friends. This is so cool to invite Lee Steinberg to the podcast. Lee, thank you, first of all, for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And there are so many things we can cover. I don't know if one podcast is going to be it. You might have to come back and do this again sometime. Then we will. Then we will. Then we will. You know, we initially discussed in the last couple of weeks, we have uh, started out. We had uh, Ed Gorin from Fox uh, and we had uh, Tom Rinaldi, uh, who did the Madden documentary. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on John Madden and just kind of start it that way. I want to get to some of the other things we can talk about, but just uh, you were very excited about talking about the legacy of John Madden. That's how we first connected. So why don't I give you the floor? What was your initial reaction? And now that it's been almost a month since his passing, uh, what was your biggest takeaway from all of it? It really was stunning to see the number of people whose lives he had impacted in some way. And you need to start with his legacy as a football coach, because at a very young age, he takes the Raiders and is able to turn them into a big winner. And their players at that time were some all-time legends. So you first have him as a coach. Second of all, you've got the impact he had popularizing football. He had a visceral way of describing what was happening on the uh, field. It was like the old Batman, pow, wham. And, but it- Great reference. I have a superhero podcast. You might have to come on that now too. There you go. But he had uh, a way of relating what was happening in a football game that made football more approachable allowed people to to relate to it uh, more intimately. And uh, so he gets some credit for helping to build the brand that is the National Football League because um, he was the voice um, every week that that people listen to. And lastly, you have Madden uh, as a game. And it became the DeVerdeur cover to be on. I mean, how many of your clients said I have to be on the Madden game? Uh, They grew grew up with that being a mark of uh, achievement and uh, their aspiration. (laughs) They wanted to do a deal with Nike. They wanted to um, at, at a certain age. And they wanted to be on the cover of uh, Madden. Now, there were some mixed results for the cover of Madden, but the point is that <laughs> if you take uh, Patrick Mahomes, getting to be on the cover of Madden was a uh, imprimatur of uh, success. That your time had come. It, it's truly uh, remarkable, and it's very eloquent what you're what you're saying uh, about him. Um, Madden's the the thing I thought my takeaway from the whole experience of the documentary and and seeing it I am too young to know him as a coach 
but I'm not too old to not recognize the significance of the video game. Um, the video game to me was more, uh, more people knew him from that. And I thought that was neat. And I like that they're talking about renaming the all pro team, the all Madden team, which I thought would be really, really cool going forward. You know, I'm not one of those people who lives in the past, but I just, I think honoring that kind of legacy and, you know, listening to the broadcasts of the NFL over the years, it is impossible to compare somebody to him because it's, it's too demeaning to the announcers that are doing it. They're doing their best and they're great at their job. I couldn't do that. But at the same time, none of them are mad, even Romo. And I hope he's listening. Uh, at the time that we're doing this podcast, if you're listening to this the week that it came out, the Pittsburgh Steelers were just eliminated and one of your most high profile uh, original clients was Ben Roethlisberger. There's speculation. And again, if you're listening to this in the future, you know, <laughs> his future may have been uh, figured out. Um, but it looks like uh, his career may be coming to an end. Um, ben Roethlisberger is a really, really uh interesting person and you got to know him at a very young age what was that like well first of all he's extremely bright high iq also has the ability to compartmentalize and multitask and so i knew that would argue well for football success because at a certain point in a game the question is can you tune out everything extraneous? Can you focus on the issue at hand? Can you have a short uh, memory? He also has a typical alpha male personality in that he would be the leader in virtually any social setting or school setting or work setting that, that you could uh, imagine. He's got a magnetic personality. He um, uh, has loads of friends. Um, so when he came out in that draft in 2004, there were already two players that had teams that were completely enamored with them. San Diego had coached Philip Rivers in the senior bowl and fallen in love with him. And the New York Giants had Ernie Corsi, who thought that Peyton Manning was a generational player. So it was pretty clear to me that as you looked at that draft with the Chargers having the first pick and the Giants having the fourth, that, that Ben would probably be drafted uh, somewhere else. Um, what's extraordinary about him as a player, and it's easy to forget this after 18 years, is how big and strong he was, but still nimble with escapability. In other words, you, you understand it from Kyler Murray, right? You can sure. see it from, uh, from uh, uh, the Ravens quarterback, but, but it just doesn't make sense to have someone that big, strong, tall, with a boom arm that then uh, can move around. But he could. He was a great uh, athlete. And so um, the question was, who in that draft was going to take him. And I thought that Buffalo was a possibility and Pittsburgh were, were uh, a possibility. But the irony was that Tom Coughlin, the coach of the New York Giants, had called Ben's coach, Terry Hebner, right before the draft and said, look, if draft 
pick rolls around and we haven't uh, gotten our guy, then we're going to take you. And, uh, and our guy is Manning. So San Diego picks Manning. And now we come up to the fourth pick. And I knew there was a trade going to happen. Mm -hmm. But it was really hard to go against what Tom Coughlin had told Terry Hefner. <laughs> and so <laughs> draft time is not real time. It's like water torture time. So uh, second seems like a minute. A minute seems like an hour. Drip, drip, drip. The time is excruciating. So anyway, we get to New York's pick and they don't seem to be able to make the trade with San Diego. So all of a sudden, it been sure it's going to be him. And I'm whispering to him, no, 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 no. But with 14 <laughs> minutes, like in 50 seconds, which was how much time they used to have, um, the New York Giants announced that they've completed a trade and uh, like a big ball of helium that gets a pin in it shoo, the atmosphere went out of that draft table yeah and yeah. uh but it ended up being the best thing that could happen because the marriage made in heaven to have his personality which fits so well with pittsburgh as a fan base as a city you know and and the way they played football more with Super Agent Lee Steinberg in just a moment. But first, this is a big week in the National Football League. The divisional rounds, four games. We were going to give you the latest odds on all of them with the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. And Patrick, let's take a look at this week's games. There are four divisional playoff games. Let's start it off with the Bengals and the Titans. Uh, Cincinnati won a playoff game for the first time after six presidents, I think it is. Um, <laughs> Tennessee's coming off the bye week. Uh, only one team in each conference got a bye. Uh, size up Cincinnati and Tennessee in Nissan Stadium. Yeah, very interesting matchup, Seth. By the way, every game this weekend is under a touchdown on the point spread. Um, looking at Bengals at Titans, the Titans are currently three and a half point favorites at Bavada. Really interested in this matchup. Very excited for Bengals fans and what they got in Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and getting, you know, that playoff schneid, that playoff monkey off their schneider. However that goes, I'm mismanaging all my references here, but we'll get this in editing. That's okay. Uh, looking at the point spread again, the Titans are three and a half point favorites. Action 50-50 on this one. A lot of Bengals love on the money line, right? now uh super compelling matchup i'm a big fan of the titans head office i think it's interesting that uh, belichick's uh, coaching tree has only seen success from an offensive lineman not from really any of his assistants anywhere uh the titans do a lot of good things offensively they're healthy should be a great matchup over under is sitting at 47 right now at bavada players are betting on points about 85 percent of all bets on the over in this one seth then to cold Lambeau Field, and uh, that's where it's supposed to be frozen, the frozen tundra, they call it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and company against the San Francisco team that, that, look, they got out to a hot start against Dallas. We thought they were world beaters. Um, Garoppolo, I thought, played great, although he hurt himself. So he's a question mark going into this game. Still, you know, I know you said under a touchdown. The reality is, is that this is the game that this is the heaviest favored game. You're absolutely right, Seth, and the betting does reflect that so far. The Packers are six-point favorites in this one at Bavada, and about 80% of all bets are on the Packers, easily our largest liability. Over-under is sitting 47 and a half right now. Uh, that point spread has kind of dipped back and forth a little bit, I think because of the Jimmy G injury situation with, uh, it's been four and a half, five, six, sitting six right now. We're not quite sure. 
course, this will change again by Sunday. Very interesting matchup in that these are two teams that with their offense uh, would probably prefer to be playing warm weather football. I mean, well, most people would probably prefer to be playing warm weather football if you have any kind of offensive talent. But uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or brain, there you go. So, you know, I, I do think the Packers and the Packers, we know they, they have one of the last true pure home field advantages in pro football. Uh, don't get me wrong, the 49ers fans we do have deep pockets. I do expect, you know, a small presence there, but it won't be like 49ers at Rams that we saw in week 18. Uh, the Packers faithful, the Lambeau faithful are going to be out. They're going to be loud and, uh, you know, advantage the Packers in this one. But again, that 49ers front office, they do smart things. They utilize all their best players to the best of their ability. Uh, should be a fascinating game. Probably one of the easily the best one that day, I think. All right, let's stay in the NFC in this game. I, wow. Uh, this is, this is, it's, as much of a pick them as, as I would think. Uh, Tampa's only going to be favored because they're home. These are two evenly matched teams. I don't know how you bet against Tom Brady, but you'll explain. <laughs> well, the, the betters agree with you so far, Seth, as we're seeing about 65% of all bets at Bavada on the Rams' money line and the point spread. The point spread right now is currently Tampa Bay minus three. However, they're only minus 105 on that point spread, so we are shading it a little bit towards the LA Rams side. Um, yeah, candidly, this is the matchup I was hoping for going into Monday Night Football. Uh, I've been dogging the Cardinals all year. I thought they, uh, you know, I, I don't like to use the fraud word because it's, it's such a harsh word, but I, I certainly didn't think they were as good as their record for the vast uh, majority of the season. And I think that really did play out in how the season ended for them. Uh, you know, they did run into some injury issues, but I've never been uh, a big fan of Coach Clip. I, I like this idea that McVay gets another shot at Brady. And in that Rams-Patriots uh, Super Bowl, however many years ago that was, you know, offensively, they kept Brady in check. I think McVay has a game plan available to him in this one. And he's finally got, you know, a replacement-level quarterback would have won that Super Bowl for the Rams over the Patriots, I believe. And they have a pretty good quarterback now. We have a quarterback in Matt Stafford who, for part of the season, was in the MVP conversation. Um, it's no surprise to me that the Rams are the betting favorite in this one, if not the odds favorite. But, uh, you know, you, you, gotta, you gotta give respect to Brady and that Bucks defense, which quietly has just been really, really, really strong this year. Eagles couldn't do anything against them. A lot of teams ran into this this year. Uh, over under sitting at 48 and a half right now at Bavada, Seth, and uh, pretty 50 50 on that one. And then the uh, Buffalo Bills, it'll feel like a heat wave when they uh, travel to Kansas City and Arrowhead. Um, I would, you know, I, I, if this game's played in Buffalo, uh, I would I would say the Bills would be the favorite. I, again, this is another situation where Kansas City is hosting the Buffalo Bills, but they're only the favorite because they're at home. And this is another even matchup. I would say either one of these Sunday games are a pick em. And I, I'm not telling people what to do with their time. If you have pet put money on this or haven't put money on this, those are two must-watch games. Don't go anywhere. Don't do, make any plans. This is what you need to do. Well, Seth, first of all, you're you're absolutely right uh, in that if this game was in Buffalo, the Bills would be favored. Absolutely, because the Chiefs are only two and a half point home favorites in this one, and uh, you know. We talked about the Packers' home field advantage. The Chiefs have, in our database, the largest home field advantage in the NFL. Traditionally, that home field advantage is worth, on average, around three. So for a team like the Chiefs, it's closer to maybe four, four and a half. 
which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's meaningful. The fact that the Chiefs are under three suggests that uh, in our ratings, the Bills are actually better than the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs have their fans, good fans, great friends who know when to uh, get up, get loud, do their thing. But I, I don't know if that'll be enough. The Bills look scary good. There is a, definitely a recency bias that moves these lines up. You know, the Bills beating the Patriots the way they did is more impressive than how the Chiefs beat the Steelers and, uh, you know, the walking dead that is Ben Roethlisberger. And uh, this one really shocked me when I brought this up uh, in our trading liability monitor. The over-under for the Sipavada is at 55. That's not the shocking part. 98% of all bets are on the over so far in this one. People are betting points. They're betting all the points. It is nuts. On the money line and spread, it's pretty 50-50, but people are betting on all the points. It's it's going to be a wild one. I hope it lives up to the hype. Uh, selfishly, I hope that, you know, they score 54 points, but uh, it, it should be a good one. A really great game, really good opportunity for the... I'll, I'll be happy for whichever team wins because I like the QBs. I like the fans of both teams. It should be a good one. I'm hoping for four great games in the National Football League Divisional Playoffs. Our thanks to the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. I'll be watching football all weekend. But more of this NFL talk with super agent Lee Steinberg. There is this other side. There's this uh, reckless side. Now, you've had your own stuff. I don't really want to get into your personal life. I consider personal lives to be personal lives. But uh, it seems like the allegations against Ben really did go away in terms of the fan mindset, whereas there are other athletes. And I think part of it is the times that they happen, but it seems like if something like that happened today, social media would have gone bananas and Ben would not have been able to come back from that. But when I watched his final home game, I couldn't escape that part of it without saying that I'm going to be judge and jury because I want to treat this fairly what do you think is the secret to Ben Roethlisberger being able to escape uh, the, the, the fan criticism? You know, people in Pittsburgh love him. And last I checked, there are a lot of women in, in Pittsburgh that unconditionally love him, despite everything that has been come out of it uh, regarding him. So there's, we do our best in screening with players to vet their background and to make sure that they know that football is a game or any sport where they're going to be under tremendous scrutiny. Um, ben matured over time. And mm. so what happened is like any young person, he matured and I, I'm sure he wishes that there were certain actions he had back, but then he went on and played 18 years. And um, so um, all you can do when you make a mistake is own up to it, vet it, but then also make sure that you don't have a repetition. And he didn't. And, um, and he ended up playing. Now, think about this. He went 18 seasons without a losing season. Now, the NFL is set up for parity. So what's supposed to happen with the rules, with the draft and free agency and cap numbers and everything is it's supposed to give every team a chance to be on top for three or four years, then go back through rebuilding. Never happened with Pittsburgh. 
you know, their, their, their terrible year for rebuilding would have been like eight and eight, you know, or nine and seven. And so um, you had all that life and people can make errors, um, but if, if they own up to it, if they're direct about it, if they make sure that it doesn't happen again, then people can tend to forgive an interesting uh, perspective and I, I appreciate your transparency on it. Um, you know, I would have started the podcast, if not for John Madden's passing, I would have started the podcast with this. I said it in the open. Um, I, 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 we're, we're doing this via Zoom and there's no secret. That's how I do podcasts these days uh, because of the pandemic. But I see the photo behind you with Cuba Gooding and, and Tom Cruise. Um, you know that the, the, you were you were a consultant on the film Jerry Maguire. They all say it's it's based on your life. Um, you know, it, it's it, it, I thought of so many ways to 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 uh, you know f- start this conversation. Um, back then, what did you think of the idea of making that movie? And now, years later, when you look back on it, has that opinion changed? So the writer-director Cameron Crowe called me up in 1993 and said he wanted to do a film predicated on a sports agent and asked if he could follow me around through the world of, of football, agency, other sports. So we started in 93 and he went to the league meetings where I was showing off a free agent named Tim McDonald. And so... He met with owners, he met with players, he, he was a fly on the wall for meetings I would do, and he got that atmosphere. Then he went to the draft in 1993 where I had Drew Bledsoe as the first pick, and he was there. And then when we flew up with Bledsoe for a press conference with Bill Parcells, he came on that trip and watched that. Came to a number of games, went to pro scouting day, and um, came to my Super Bowl party, uh, spent time in my office, and I told him loads of stories, lots and lots of stories. So then, yeah, I was also technical advisor, and he, uh, so my job was to bet the script he wrote and make sure (laughs) the willing suspension of disbelief that holds you in a motion picture didn't get broken. You didn't think the dialogue was phony. You didn't think the look was phony. Um, and then he assigned me some of the actors. I took Cuba Gooding Jr. with me down to Phoenix and made him pretend he was a wide receiver all week. And uh, <laughs> he had to hang out with Desmond Howard and uh, Amani Toomer. And uh, great Amani Toomer. So, you know, there's a lot of life up there on the screen. It's not biographical because I started with the very first pick in the first round of the draft back in 1975. And honestly, there's no aspirational arc there that uh, gives you a, a no, good but it's note. not it's not the Lee Steinberg story, but it's not a biopic. It's a it, but it's an homage to you. But my feeling about it was that it humanized the whole concept of sports agents, and it gave people a sense for the real caring that goes on. Now, he saw my relationship with Warren Moon that went on for 23 years. And, and you know, he saw Troy Aikman and Steve Young and, and the whole series of 
players and, and how we actually relate to each other and the fact that it was not exactly completely business. No, I, I would I would imagine not. Um, when that movie hits the box office and, and, and is seen, did it make your job easier? <laughs> it um, meant that for now it's been 25 years. And don't forget and... there's two, there's two prongs to that. It's the, is it easier to get athletes to want to be represented by you? I would imagine that got a lot easier, but it's also the negotiations that you're doing for said athletes. Um, so what it did was made every trip through an airport an adventure because someone inevitably would run up to me and either ask me to say the four words that start with show me the, <laughs> or say them to me. And every time I went out to dinner, uh, that, so it, from a public profile standpoint, yeah, it was uh, quite an elevation. And, uh, but um, we put a number of the athletes into the into the film so that uh, and a number of owners I knew the Jim Ursays of the world went into the film and so um, and it had uh, Drew Bledsoe and Kajana Carter and and uh, Tim McDonald and Troy Aikman and on and on um, so uh, yeah I think everybody was sort of uh, uh, excited about it and uh, life became more fun do you last thing about this movie because then we can get into some other stuff um do you when was the last time you saw it oh probably at the premiere i've never watched it again so during the covid lockdown you're stuck in your house like everybody else you don't pop that sucker on one of these streaming services or no i mean i want to enjoy the whole experience of uh, making it <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it, um, um, but I haven't, it's, look, it's a little shocking to see all that on a screen. I bet, <laughs> I bet, you know, uh, I, I, I can just imagine when, when players were young kids and they don't know any better and they're asked to make decisions. What was the thing that you did? Was there complete transparency was there a sales pitch what was it that made you know you you mentioned your your first uh draft 1975 you had the number one pick you can go back then you can go through the 90s the 80s the 2000s whatever you want to do what was it that you had that confidence that made you appealing because i the way i look at it you know athletes are human beings and when you are 18, 19, 20, you are not smart enough to make big life decisions. How did you come in? Was it families? Did you have to get their families? What was it? And, you know, if you want to use a specific example, cool. But if not, I would just love to know a little bit of the secret magic on how you convinced a player to sign with you at such a young age. It starts with profiling the players so that our practice is predicated on the concept of the athlete as role model. Going back to the high school community, setting up a scholarship fund or church or boys and girls club, going to the collegiate community and doing what a Troy Aikman did, which is to 
endow a full scholarship at, um, at UCLA or Edger and James at the University of Miami. And then at the pro level, set up a charitable foundation um, that would have the leading business figures, political figures, and community leaders all sitting on a board that would execute a program. So that's like work done, the former running back putting the 175th single mother and their family into the first home they'll ever own by making the down payment and moving them in. Right. Um, so first of all, it's profiling the right type of young man and then the right type of family that raised them and knowing that you have a values match. The second thing is listening skills. So it's the ability to draw another human being out cut below the surface level responses to peel like the onions, layers of an onion until you get into someone's deepest anxieties and fears and their greatest hopes and dreams. If you can emotionally bond with another human being and see the world the way they see it through their eyes and understand what it takes to fulfill them, then that's pretty key. And then laying out a holistic approach that would start with someone being a role model, end with them hopefully making the Hall of Fame as 12 of our players have done, and then having a successful second career. So it's, it's really having a plan for that entire span from training for uh, the scouting combine and, and pro scouting day to uh, transitioning into second career. Um, but it's listening, it's making, just treating each person uniquely in respect to what their own uh, value system is, what they rank and prioritize and um, getting into their heart and mind. Wow. Why didn't you ever represent broadcasters? Because the agents I dealt with <laughs> were not as thoughtful as you. <laughs> The truth of the matter is we did represent a number of TV and radio news people. And then the hut ratings all went down and, and <laughs> it became a different business. Well, it was funny, it, you know, one of the things that I always found uh, in dealing with agents, I had four agents. I always said, if I ever wrote a book, I would talk about my agent. I would do a chapter on agents. And what I always found with agents is it was always, they always had an agenda. It was their agenda and it was so disconcerting and I saw it and I didn't feel the connection that you expressed. So when I hear it, I, again, I, I, I don't try to be a football player, but what I do think is I think there's a jealousy aspect because I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast have had agents if, if they're in the media industry and I would be interested to know if they felt the kind of relationship that you're depicting that you had with players, because it truly seems uh, very, very genuine. Well, I think, again, if you start with listening and not making assumptions as to who a human being actually is um, and draw them out and then listen to the family and understand the whole context of them, and uniquely represent each person uniquely for who they are uh, and not make assumptions, it's helpful. Do you like um, the way the NFL has become such a juggernaut 
that the players seemingly have no leverage on, on things. It's, you know, the latest CBA, there was, you know, the, the owners wanted to add a 17th game. So they added week, you know, 18, the 17th game. Now there's extra playoff games. And, you know, in the first round of the playoffs, look, this might be the greatest postseason of all time, but we had a couple of clunkers and some teams that, you know, didn't look like they belong. What's your thought on the entertainment juggernaut that is the NFL and how it's bigger now than it ever has been. And now it's kind of surpassed. I think even people's expectations, even Pete Rozelle would say, I didn't think it would get this big. Well, actually I did. I thought that it had the timing. It grew up with television. So all the camera angles, all the innovations in television are in the broadcast. Um, it had a one game a week event aspect to it, uh, you know, unlike the other sports. So you could anticipate the game going in and coming out. It had physical collision that was uh, sort of fit people's tastes. And it sort of grew up with all the modern um, ways in which you could use a football stadium in which you could do fantasy uh, sports, in which you could do um, a variety of different ways to, to, to follow it. Um, but it is the dominant entertainment, not just sport, but entertainment of our time. It's 71 of the top 100 uh, Nielsen rated shows in, in 2020 were, were NFL football. And so it's not only the most popular sport, it's the most popular television show. And so it is larger than life. The next sport to it would probably be college football. And then after that, everything else. Uh, mm. So that it dominates uh, this country. It's, uh, it's got the right collectibles, the right merchandise. It's got the, the fantasy aspect. It's got the gambling aspect. It's got um, um, everything that people are looking for in an entertainment. And, oh, incidentally, most of the games come down to the fourth quarter or the last drive. Yeah, it's, it, it's wild. Um, the one criticism that I think the sport um, get, continues to get, despite its popularity, is concussions. Um, concussions seem to be a, a, a real big deal. Um, you know, the, the injuries are, you know, every sport has injuries, but the injuries in football seem to be so gruesome. Um, well, and getting worse because the size, strength, and speed of the players is exponentially higher. So the actual G-force at the line of scrimmage is higher. You know, I had a crisis of conscience back in the late 80s and early 90s because I was representing at some points half the starting quarterbacks and they kept getting hit in the head. And when we would go to doctors, they couldn't tell us how many was too many or what the magic number was. And the league was sort of lying to the players by telling them there were no long-term dangers and one close to another one didn't mean anything worse. So I started holding concussion conferences back in the uh, early 90s and had players like Bledsoe, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Warren Moon, um, uh, all come and listen to neurologists, and I've held 17 since. And um, finally, we got the answer that three or more occasioned an exponentially higher rate of Alzheimer's, 
uh, Parkinson's, premature senility, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and depression. So I've called it a ticking time bomb and an undiagnosed health epidemic. And this year at our Super Bowl party, we'll have another concussion conference because um, I don't want to lead players down the road to dementia. And there are things we can do to make the game safer. I think ultimately we're going to move to a football in which there's no hitting during training camp or during practices and the plays are just modeled. And so all the hitting saved for the games. I think that we're on the uh, precipice of having um, a process called uh, RTMS, which can recharge the brain after it's been concussed. So I think whether it's helmetry, rules limitations, not starting young kids below a certain um, uh, uh, age, uh, we can do things and we need to constantly keep pushing to make the game safer. That's interesting. Do you get, um, do you see that in some areas, like for example, in Connecticut, uh, they couldn't go 11 on 11 because they didn't have enough uh, players uh, signing up. Do you, you know, you've seen the hotbed of the Southern United States, you know, uh, just, just a blanket you want to go sec country you want to go big 12 country big 10 whatever you want to do i mean hotbeds are hotbeds um do you ever see a time where uh youth participation in football will ever decrease because of the concerns so here's the irony at the same time that this sport is dominating america you can see cracks in the facade yeah. in the future because let's say 50% of the mothers understand that the effect of bodies hitting bodies can be brain damage. For example, if you take an offensive lineman who hits a defensive lineman on every play, they could come out of the game of football having played in high school, college, and pros with 10,000 subconcussive events, a little bit of change, which they're not aware of it, any of them, and none of them are diagnosed. And so the subconcussive event aggregates to do the same thing as getting knocked out four or five times does. Um, so let's say 50% of the moms or dads in this country know this, and they tell their teenage boys, you can play any sport, but not tackle football. It wouldn't kill football immediately, but you would start to see people move in other directions for youth sports because it would become a gladiator game where only people that were desperate to escape poverty uh, or economic reverses would be the people playing. And so, yeah, uh, yes, I worry about it in the long term. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to keep you forever. And I, I really do appreciate your time. Um, what about college sports and your thought on college sports? And especially, I understand that your, your company uh, has a conference on uh, NIL uh, image and likeness. Um, just to me, what my biggest takeaway from it has always been, I think it goes against what the ideas of title nine are in that unless you're a star player, you're not getting paid. And, you know, there's still the restrictions and, you know, the, the, the college athlete can't get the job working at the mall. And, you know, there's all these different 
rules. Uh, what's your thought? I, I, again, I, knowing that I don't want to keep you here for hours and hours and hours. No, this, this, it was not inevitable that all the restrictions would disappear, but the NCAA reacted way too slowly to players who said, look, I've got economic hardship. I come to the campus. My non-athletic peers can work to supplement their income. I see the Pack Stadium. I see my jersey being sold in the student store. It's not a king's ransom I need, but you know, a couple thousand more dollars would make it easier to live and the rest of it. And the NCAA didn't move. And so along comes NIL. It has worked out to be much broader than the initial suspicions. So there are schools where they're giving uh, to every woman uh, a stipend. There are, there are places where women's sports are benefiting. There are programs where the 20 player at uh, University of Alabama football team is still of interest to somebody. Alums are using it to funnel monies through their businesses to their favorite program. So it's, it's ended up much broader than anyone thought. It's not just a couple of football quarterbacks. It's spread to other sports and um, use the alumni groups and affinity groups um, have been big pushers in this. So a Phil Knight will give every athlete at the University of Oregon something. Right, so right. Um, um, I think the biggest danger is if you market a young athlete so heavily before they've ever performed on the field that it creates a level of tension and pressure um, that A, could be a diversion, but B, holds them up to potential ridicule. I mean, thank goodness that Bryce Young won the Heisman Trophy because he had deals that were done before he ever played. We turned right. out to be the best player in college football. Sure. But, but otherwise, you'd worry about the pressure or is there jealousy by one player group that's not doing as well as another player group? Um, and, uh, but I, I have to tell you, it is um, here now and it's only going to get more amplified. Do you get the sense, you referenced the NCAA, do you get the sense that the NCAA has never been more powerless and that the conferences really rule that? The example that I used is COVID because it seemed like when COVID hit, the Pac-12 did what the Pac-12 was going to do. The Big Ten did what the Big Ten was going to do. The SEC did what they were going to do. And nobody was telling them to be unified on anything. Um, the power lies in the conferences. But the is that power... going to be the dominant thing? So so do you yes. think that is the NCAA on borrowed time? I guess that's my I, question. I think so, because the the power is in the television contracts. The power is in the jumbo stadia and arena. The power is um, uh, in the marketing and memorabilia. The, the revenue streams are the power. And you have this third party that's involved in it, but um, I think your COVID analogy was great. Instead of having a uniform policy that spread throughout sports, it was a mixed bag of, uh, of uh, conferences uh, who had power.
Yeah, com- completely. And they did wh- whatever the heck they want. All right. Uh, there's so much that we haven't covered. And I, like I said, I can have you on again and again and again. So let's do this after the Super Bowl and everything is done, maybe around the draft. L- I would love to sit down again and do uh, a- another episode. I usually you got, you got a you got a date. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Uh, how do you feel about social media? Do you like it? Do you embrace it? Do you like players to have it? And how can people find you online? They can find me by going to we at SteinbergSports.com. Uh, and I tweet under at Lee Steinberg. I'm on Facebook at the same name. I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm uh, all your usual suspects and LinkedIn. Uh, but it's not even worth arguing about social media because it's here. It's the new um, uh, calculator for, for uh, athlete popularity. And uh, it's the way information flows today so that um, you're not going to catch me on TikTok, but the rest of it, uh, I'm uh, pretty sure is it's just a new modern way that information takes place. And it does give players a unique opportunity to brand themselves. Every time I ask that question, I get a different answer. Uh, Lee Steinberg, it has been an absolute thrill to have you on this podcast um, I would say show me the money, but it seems so cliche. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say to our audience, though, if there's anything that you heard in this podcast that you didn't like or any issues that you have, do me a favor, reach out to Lee directly and leave me the hell out of it. Uh, Lee, uh, sad circumstances that the passing of John Madden got us connected, but I'm thrilled that we have connected. And like I said, I look forward to talking to you again. It's been a pleasure. That's Lee Steinberg. This is Sports with Friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the support that you give you on iTunes and everywhere else. We will see you every Wednesday. We come up with a new episode, so we will see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Come on, please, I'm gone. Forget reaching me by phone. Because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have been the kind of person that you really are now.